Today, we welcome one of those outstanding leaders whose experience is a great asset to our industry and to the Chime Foundation. Bob Seeger is the CEO of Athena Health and has over 20 years of leadership experience in the software and IT services industry. This spring, he shared his insights on health tech with us at the Chime Spring Forum, which was an amazing and well-received episode. He has served as the executive chairman of Aspect Software and president and CEO of Expert Global Solutions. He was also the president and CEO of GX, GXS Incorporated, the world's largest B2B cloud integration platform. He currently serves as the Dallas Symphony Orchestra Board of Governors. He is on the executive committee of the Vogel Alcove, which, is the, which supports homeless children in Dallas. He holds an MBA from Harvard Business School and a BS in Mechanical Engineering from Purdue. And I know for a fact his personal passion, I won't even say hobby because I know he's better than that, is uh, golfing and is a member of one of my favorite courses in the world. Welcome to the program today, Bob. Great. Thanks, Russ. And glad to be here again speaking with you. Well, boy, when we did that program in the spring, I thought by the time you and I ever got together again, maybe we'd be back to uh, some sense of lower COVID or, or at least back to some semblance of normal, but it does seem like we're going through some rough times again. How are you, the family, and uh, all the great people at Athena Health doing? Well, Russ, first, appreciate the question about myself and the family. Uh, the good news from our household is, first of all, we're, we're all vaccinated, and I have twin children that are rising juniors, and sometimes that's a challenge at that age, and they uh, are all vaccinated, fully vaxxed, which is outstanding. And we've been fortunate that within our immediate family, we've really had no issues with COVID so far. So that's been a blessing and appreciate you asking about that. In terms of the people in the company and how, how they're doing, I think people are very resilient. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing how resilient people are under times of stress and anxiety and how people can focus and can still deliver. We've unfortunately had more cases of COVID than we'd like. We have a fairly large contingent of folks out in India, and that's been a bit problematic. But through it all, it's been amazing to watch how Athenistas have pulled together and supported each other and how we've been able to continue to care for customers and, and each other. So it's, it's been really encouraging, despite the fact that Delta is out there and other variants are emerging. And we were starting to get back in the office in July a little bit, and now we're back to more remote and masks and all that social distancing. And but, you know, I think we're going to continue to persevere, Russ. I think we're going to all uh, get through it. And hopefully everyone at Chime is doing well and, and that you're doing well and your family as well also. Yeah, we are. And thanks for asking. And I, I just love that you use that term there, the Athenistas. Um, it's just amazing. It's, it's some of the uniqueness. We'll even get to more of that about culture maybe a little later. But, you know, not everybody knows exactly how you all are set up at Athena Health and you're in the business model that you deliver. And it really seems to be gaining a lot of traction right now in today's world. Love, maybe just give us a little bit of the philosophy of the company. Yeah. So, I mean, at the, at the grounding, we're, we're in the business of supporting clinicians and their practices, fundamentally in the delivery of accessible, high quality and sustainable health care to their patients. And we, we think those words of accessibility and quality and sustainability aren't just platitudes. I mean, they're real things that we need to strive for within healthcare. And we're 100% we're focused on driving those types of outcomes in the market. The other thing I'd say is we're, we're cloud-based and some might say maybe we were cloud before cloud was cool. The, the company was founded 
and built on open APIs, which is the way modern software is built, the way I've built software and other companies I've been involved with. And our entire business model revolves around the advantages that are inherent in that open cloud-based architecture. We, we also fundamentally believe that openness is a prerequisite for the type of outcomes that we wanna drive with regard to accessibility, quality, and sustainability. And that's why our vision talks about creating a thriving healthcare ecosystem. We think that ecosystems are important and that ecosystems need to be open and they need to work together to create value across all constituents of that ecosystem. So we're very focused on connect connectivity and making sure that people can connect the way that they need to connect. And then I think the last point I would make, Russ, is we really believe in alignment of incentives with our customers. And we believe that we can't succeed unless our customers succeed. So our business model is really focused on helping our customers achieve financial and clinical performance improvements. And the way we get paid via our take rate model is we only get paid when our customers get paid and we love it that way. So we love that alignment. We love being able to be you know, directly connected with the practices that we're supporting in their noble mission of delivering higher quality healthcare to patients in the United States. So appreciate the question. Well, you, you mentioned one of my favorite topics is kind of this concept of cloud, and, and I'll even genericize it even more, and that is we've been talking to our leaders inside Chime, which is, is mostly digital health leaders, CIOs, other titles like that, and we've been telling them, you got to get out of the tech mindset and get into the healthcare mindset for, for years, probably a decade or so more, and where we've really tried to tell them, you've got to focus on the business and less on the back-end technology, because that's becoming commodity. First, do you agree with that? Obviously, your company does. And how do we see this continuing to emerge? Well, I think tech, for tech's sake, is never a good answer, if that's what you're kind of getting at there. You know, there's cool widgets and there's new innovations that are out there, but it doesn't mean that it's right for your business, and it doesn't mean it's right for the market. And it doesn't mean it's right for your patients and the physicians that you're trying to support you know, across your network. I do think your point around looking at healthcare as a whole is a critical one. And what is gonna drive the most value in the broad-based ecosystem? And, and I think we all realize that technology is a part of this, but it's also people and it's the processes that we undertake that make it all work together, as well as just the incentives and, and the way we behave and the culture with which we interact with each other and listen and innovate and drive change. So I think that's gonna be critically important as we go forward is that we take a holistic view to what healthcare needs to look like, that we use technology as a tool, not tech for tech's sake, but as a tool to drive the type of outcomes that we want to see. And I think as we continue to do that, you're gonna see more and more adoption of holistic cloud-based solutions that allow for more innovation, they allow for more seamless interconnectivity, and hopefully allow for better overall outcomes in the industry as a whole. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because you don't come from a traditional healthcare background. You have been running healthcare companies all the time, as, as I did in your great introduction of, of all your experience. So with that being said, kind of fresh eyes, fresh views as, as you came into healthcare running this company, I'd love to hear your perspectives on it, things you were able to leverage from experience on the outside, because admittedly, we can be a bit of a laggard in healthcare across everything, including commercial products to the delivery of care. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I think that, you know, my background, maybe where to start is my background has been in software and tech enabled services in a lot of different industries. 
And I think when you have that type of experiential base, you can look at problems in unique and different ways. And I think that's advantageous. You know, I also think that you can't just come in from the inside and think outside and think that you know everything about a very complicated industry. So you have to surround yourself with people that are deep in healthcare and understand where the pitfalls are. But by having the right team that understands healthcare and then bringing that fresh perspective, I think you can really create something that is special. So hopefully I've been able to do that a bit at Athena as I've combined with a lot of great healthcare experts to bring a different view, you know, from the outside and looking into healthcare. I'll just, I'll give you a great example. We may have even talked about it in spring, but it's just something that just sits with me. In healthcare, you know, we see all these faxes and there's, there's billions of faxes and we, we process, I don't even know how many hundred million faxes that we just process within the Athena architecture ourselves. And you look at it and you say, okay, well, we're using faxes. And you say, well, why are we using faxes? And then you go to the root of that and you say, well, look, this information was actually in somebody's system in digital format. Somehow in healthcare, we've decided that it's important to take that digital information now and put it into a fax transmission format to transmit that fax, all the ways to paper, all the ways to cost, only such that someone on the other end can now take that and have to re-enter that information back digitally into their system with all the potential errors, data entry issues, cost and complexity, as well as lost faxes and misplaced information that corresponds to that. And I think healthcare has just in a lot of ways gotten comfortable. That's just the way things are done. And I think you come in from the outside and you look at it and you say, why are we doing that? What can we do differently? We already have the information digitally. Why can't we drive the right interfaces, the right APIs and the right end-to-end -end connection points to enable that to stop happening. Yeah, it's going to cost money to make the connections, but is it going to cost more money than it is to make all these faxes and all the errors that exist within that? So I think it's just simple things like that, Russ, that you can bring in from the outside to kind of drive a point of, wow, this doesn't really make sense. And I think one thing that is, I don't know if it's so much an issue, but it just is a fact, is that in regulated industries, whether it be healthcare, whether it be insurance, they, they tend to be a little bit laggards. Uh, and a lot of that is because of the regulations and some of the complexity. And I'm not, I'm not complaining about the regulations. The, the industry needs to be regulated. But I think oftentimes that's an excuse for people not to innovate and not to make changes where they can make changes within the guidelines and the framework of these regulations. And I think we need to be a lot better at that. And we need to hold ourselves accountable to, to being better and to doing better. Well, that really brings up the key word there, and that's leadership. And obviously not just the last 16, 17 months during this period of time, but really it, it, it even at a macro level in our industry, uh, we, we need to really embrace this constant change and, and now kind of change in uncertain times, which can be a bit of a, a challenge for leaders in this. I'd love to hear some of the things you believe from a leadership qualities perspective that, that you and your team and what you've seen in the industry has really helped people to not just survive, maybe even in some cases thrive in this environment. Yeah, I think leadership, particularly in times of, you know, relative crisis, and I, I would call the COVID pandemic a period of relative crisis uh, for many people. I think it starts with listening, speaking a lot less and spending a lot more time in dialogue and understanding where people are coming from. And to be able to do that effectively, I think you have to make yourself vulnerable and you have to put yourself out there and you have to be willing to interact in human ways and in ways with real empathy. 
and that comes from listening, not just to act like you're listening, but actually listening to understand. And as I think about our employees and I think about the differences that each individual has, some folks that are young and new in their careers that are healthy, that think COVID's you know, not that big of a deal to others who may be personally fairly healthy, but they have elderly parents that they have to take care of and they're worried about them or people with young children or folks who have several comorbidities or other high risk conditions. And it becomes a very you know, emotional and personal experience for everybody. And folks are reacting to things like COVID and things like broader change and things like uncertainty in a lot of different ways, right? There's no one way to experience that and that anxiety and the emotional impact of that and the impact on people's psyches are, are so different. So I think it starts, Russ, with just putting yourself out there, letting people know how you feel, how you're reacting, listening to folks, being empathetic, and then gathering that information and all those inputs, and then really looking at it and saying, what's in the best interest for our constituents, for our employees, number one, for our customers, and then ultimately, you know, for our owners and everyone else that has a stake in the company, including our communities, but taking an employee-centric version. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why we decided that we weren't going to go to the HIMSS conference this year, you know, at the last minute as Delta was spiking, we, we saw that as potentially a super spreader type of event. We didn't think it was in the best interest of our employees to subject some of them who are in, you know, higher risk situations to almost feel pressured to have to go out to HIMSS. And we just decided we were going to pull the plug. And I think all that comes from listening, being empathetic, and engaging. And if you do that, and then you use that information in a very personal way and with high integrity against a set of core principles, starting with your employees and your customers, then I think you're going to navigate things as best that you can. And you know, no matter what you do, and I found this to be true in, in my life, I'm sure, Russ, you've seen it in your life as well. As a leader, you're going to make decisions that some people are going to cheer and other people are going to deride. And you, if you try to please everybody, you'll please nobody. So I think great leadership starts with this listening and then taking action and being accountable for that action and driving things forward and understanding that no matter what you decide, it's not going to please everybody, but you have to do what's right based upon your core beliefs. You have to do what's right based upon your view and frame of what the company needs and the best way to navigate it. And you have to do so with directness, with full accountability for the decisions that are made. And if you do that, if you do that, more than likely, you're going to get your employees to follow along and they're going to understand it. They may not always agree, but they're going to understand it. You're going to build credibility. And I think in times of strain, in times of stress, in times of pandemics, uh, that credibility and people looking to their leaders and saying, I think that Bob or Russ or whoever it is has my back and they're doing the best that they can in a tough situation. If you can get your team to think that and believe that, then the battle is largely won. Wow. Well, that, that, I think that was just filled with wisdom that, that we can all learn from. Um, and so many people have had to flex and change and make decisions like you've talked about. That's uh, that's just wise counsel. So on that note, I, I'd love to 
reflect back again a little bit on some of the stuff we discussed last time when we were live on our program or on our, our forum, we talked about this kind of emergence of telehealth, this emergence of virtual care and almost even consumerism we were starting to see that was just absolutely, for all intents and purposes, forced on us because of the pandemic. And now we've got people coming back to offices and back to hospitals and scheduling routines, those kinds of things. I'd love to get your perspective now on kind of where you see these things and are they continuing you know, maybe a little bit at a lesser pace, but is this still the future where we're going to head in that direction? Yeah, it was an interesting conversation earlier on that we had on this. And I, I think, as you indicated in your opening remarks there, I think we are seeing a little bit of a pullback from some of the extensive use of virtual health and things of that nature. We've seen it in, in our network as well. And I think you've seen it in the popular press. But the reality is, is the world has fundamentally changed in terms of the way that patients and frankly, physicians are willing to receive and deliver care. And prior to the pandemic, there were a lot of physicians that just you know, weren't comfortable. They just didn't wanna do that. Uh, they didn't wanna see patients virtually. They didn't think that they could get the same experience, deliver the same quality of care. There were also economic incentives involved. Reimbursement uh, for virtual care visits was less than an in-office visit. Uh, so you also have economic incentives there. And you have patients that frankly, want to see their doctor because they're, they weren't necessarily as comfortable. Now you get a situation where you are forced to make a different connection because people can't physically see each other. You can't go into the office. Uh, it's not safe to do so. And what that does is that creates new opportunities for people to learn new patterns of work. And as people do that, whether it's physician to patient or even in our business and other businesses where people have worked remotely, you find out that there are ways that you can be productive and that you can deliver the type of service that you want, even though you're not face-to-face. -face. So I think you're starting to see that doctors and physicians are more comfortable with using telehealth sol solutions. Patients, frankly, have received quality care via telehealth. Uh, some have found that to be more convenient. So I think there's going to be a permanent shift to more virtual health rust as we move forward. Now, with that said, you are starting to see the pullback and you see it in some of the public companies that are out there that are talking about virtual health. They're starting to see volumes either slow down or start to pull back. I think we're seeing that, you know, across our network as well, but that doesn't mean that it's going away. And it was really interesting. There was some new research that was just released in health affairs uh, in early August from the University of Minnesota School of Public Health and Harvard University. And it was a study that was actually using Athena Health data. So we had shared our data with them for the study and it showed that well kids who had a pediatrician appointment immediately following a child with flu-like symptoms were over 30% more likely to get diagnosed with flu-like illness in the next 14 days, right? And, and this, isn't, this isn't a COVID insight. It's, it's what all any parent has experienced when they go into a pediatrician's office. You know, there's a little bit of that. I don't know if it's the ick factor or what, or what it is, but it's like, you know, don't touch that. You know, sit over here. Don't sit by that kid because that kid's sick. And I think things like that, as people are comfortable with virtual health, maybe they won't go into the office. Maybe they'll just say, hey, why don't I just do a virtual health visit? I don't, I don't wanna expose my child during the flu season to other kids that might be sick with flu because there's a risk that they're gonna come down with the flu. So I think things like that behaviorally will also you know, drive um, you know, continued usage uh, of virtual health a lot more than it was. And then you'd mentioned consumerism. I, I think that's a really important thing as we think about technology and, and the way healthcare is gonna be delivered. I mean, consumers are powerful. 
consumers are used to driving it, the experience the way they want to receive it, how they want to receive it, where they want to receive it, with what modality. And healthcare has been a little bit late to adopt that game. But as patients become more and more drivers of how technology is experienced, I think healthcare firms are going to have to respond to that, or they're going to find themselves increasingly disadvantaged against other practices and providers that have a consumer patient-driven mindset. And I think that's going to be really, really important as we go forward. And I think we're going to continue to see that shift, the broader consumerism in healthcare. And if people don't understand it, get on board with it and get out in front of it. I think they may be looking uh, at the world through the, uh, uh, you know, from, the, from behind as, as we move forward, if they don't adopt and, and really flex into that new reality. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I heard a speaker the other day say it and just said it really simple. Either change or be changed, but it's going to happen um, in the in our industry. And I think that we saw a primer and an accelerator because of that period of time with COVID here, but it really has opened up an, an opportunity. It does talk a little bit, though, to the fact that, that our market, and I just say healthcare in general, which is a huge market, still kind of plays by an old mindset. It still has an old playbook of how reimbursement occurs and you know, there's not incentives as much as there could be for wellness, some of those kinds of things. Do you think there's some things we need to shift in just the overall market um, to, to really kind of move in a better direction for healthcare? Well, I think within the industry, if we're focused on driving accessibility, if we're focused on driving quality and we're focused on driving sustainability, which I fundamentally believe are the three fundamental tenets that we need to you know, focus on, we have to realize that we're not doing a great job on all those dimensions. And if we want to drive sustainable costs of the healthcare system, if we want to ensure that patients, including patients that are in either economically uh, disadvantaged situations or where there's racial disparities to the delivery of healthcare, if we, if we really want to solve that problem, we're going to have to look at healthcare more, more holistically. We're going to have to look at it as an ecosystem. We, we can't have service providers operating in silos. We can't have people coveting their own data. We can't have people blocking access to that information or making it difficult to get access to that information. We have to be able to compete, but yet cooperate as an industry to drive better overall outcomes. And I think it's really about leaders. You know, we talked about what leadership is a little bit earlier, but it's really about leaders saying, you know, enough is enough. We need to, as an industry, come together to drive a more collective, holistic vision of the future in a way that's going to drive healthcare in the United States to be the premier delivery of care in the world. And I don't think it's always looked at that way. On different dimensions, yes. On others, no. And I think we have the opportunity as an industry to work together to make the United States the clear leader and the most envied system in the world with regard to quality of care and the way that we can deliver and improve outcomes for our, our, our citizens. And I think it's critically important. And, and we've got to get on board and we've got to break down this mindset of, you know, not invented here, or I'm too worried about doing this because it may, it may damage my business. No, I think we got to get above that. And we got to think about what's right for the United States, what's right for healthcare and what's right, what's right for patient health. Because, you know, someday in the future, it may be you on the other side of that uh, coin that needs great healthcare. And you're sure going to wish that you had it 
when you need it most. And I, I think, you know, that's a, just something I always think about is I'm fortunate that I've been, you know, relatively healthy, but you never know when I won't. And if we're going to make this happen, we need to make it happen, not just for, you know, our parents, our people in the older generation, but ultimately for ourselves and our children as we continue to move forward. So it's a really important, I think, element, Russ, that, that the industry needs to focus around in, in terms of how we, how we improve uh, collectively. Well, I absolutely agree with you and appreciate that. And one of the things you talked about earlier that I just, I, I love the concept, but it's one we struggle with in the industry. And that's this concept of openness and uh, not just openness of being willing to, you know, work one-on-one with different companies and that kind of stuff, but openness and in, in kind of federalizing or, or opening the data so where things can move and flow, open APIs, being able to transfer back and forth. So much so the actual government had to create a law. So we, in theory, no one can information block, but that, that's the stick part of this versus the positive. And, and I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on interoperability, where you think we are as an industry, maybe even some direction where you think we might need to go. Yeah. Well, first, I, I think we need to stop trying to isolate and control information. And we need to commit to eliminating barriers between different systems. And we need to embrace this information sharing. And it's kind of what I like to call experiential interoperability, to be honest. It, it's, it's one thing to be able to say, well, I'm, I'm connected through Commonwealth or through care quality. And because of that, you, know, you have access to this information that you need. But is that really the information that people need in the modality with which they need it? Is that curated for a physician on a mobile device? Is there practicing you know, as maybe a hospitalist that may be practicing between their clinic and their acute care center? Is that really experiential interoperability for a patient who wants to be able to access their lab results, who wants to be able to interact dynamically with their physician on something that might be concerning to them, right? So this, this isolating controlling information, number one, has to stop. And you think about it, clinicians are sifting through this noise and they're trying to paste, you know, piece together a, a patient's stories from maybe hundreds of pages of cut and pasted notes. And we talk about in, in our world, you know, the tyranny of the acute care chart and all the information that comes across to some of these specialists that are practicing in an acute care facility when all of those notes come over into their patient chart. And how do they decipher that? And we know that this information overload is a huge driver of burnout for clinicians. And the clinicians need the most relevant information. They need it curated for them. And they need to have this burden of the excess data and sifting through data to find what they need. They, have the need. they need that taken out of the system. And to me, that's a critical capability now. One that we've got to focus on driving changes. How do we curate that data? How do we make physicians more proficient? How do we get them the information they need at the point of care? And the only way to do that, the only way to do that in my mind is to ensure that there's free flowing access, free flowing information, that it can then be opened up, it can be curated, it can be made intelligent so that physicians can do their jobs and do their jobs effectively. And they don't have to be burdened by you know, the interoperability of a regulatory law, right? Which can only do so much, burdened by people trying to comply with the law, but not actually comply with maybe the spirit of the law, which is how do we drive better outcomes? And that's where I think the industry needs to go. I mean, how close do you think we're there to being at some point of what I would call uh, maybe not even experiential, usable interoperability? 
Yeah. Are we a year away? Are we five years away? Or are we, and I hate to even use a date farther than that, 10 years away? Well, for experiential interoperability, it may be 10 years away. I hate, I hate to say it. And, and, you know, maybe that's, that's too pessimistic, but, you know, overall I'm, I'm optimistic about the ability of the industry to continue to achieve, you know, levels of interoperability. I mean, we had 21st century cures to your point, you know, when the government has to step in and provide regulations, that's not necessarily a, a good sign, right? With regard to where there are potentially problems uh, that are fairly basic, you know, in the healthcare system. I think we're moving more and more towards it. I think the fact that consumers have access to their data and can demand access to their data is gonna drive people to have to be more dynamic in the way they think about segmenting the data and having that be available. And those type of underlying technologies to be able to do that should make it easier to then share that data with others in a way that's more curated, that's more powerful and less of just a raw data dump. You know, the easiest thing to do is just to do a data dump. Here, here, here it all is. And you leave the patient or the, the provider trying to sift through what's really, really relevant. And I think we are making progress against that. But I think just like anything, Russ, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. We're going to have to continue to work together as an industry to ensure that we make this happen as quickly as we possibly can. And it's going to require people thinking differently about problems. It's going to require people being innovative. It's going to require companies stepping out of their comfort zone and doing things in a different way and really having a view of experience and outcomes, not revenue and profits. And those are all important. But at the end of the day, if we don't get the right experience and the right outcomes, the profits will ultimately go away. So think long-term, think about what needs to happen to drive the right outcomes for the industry and opportunity and prosperity will follow for the companies that can, that can unlock that, in my view. Well, as our time's coming to an end, one last question for you. I love the fact that you said, you know, focus on the experience, because I think that's what your organization does for your team, for your employees. It really does take great people to get any mission done. I just, I've spent a little time at, at the cool building, which probably not a lot of people are spending time in today in Boston. I spent some time with your team. It's just a unique culture. I'd love for you maybe to describe a little bit about it and kind of why it's such a good place, great place to work and serve. Well, and we've won a lot of great place to work awards, which has been great. But I, but I would say we do have some pretty cool facilities. Uh, and if you've been to our headquarters in Watertown, it's a unique building. And I'd say if you haven't been to our uh, building in the old water plant down in Austin, you should try to get a tour of that. It's, it's probably one of the most unique office buildings I've ever seen. And I, I couldn't describe it if I tried to, but it's really, really cool, including a a fully operating uh, crane uh, in it that uh, goes across the entire expanse of the office building with a disco ball. So uh, that gives you a little <laughs> bit of a flavor of uh, what Austin might look like. But I think fundamentally from a culture standpoint at Athena, which makes it a great place to work is a few things. One, we're team players at Athena and we have a value and a set of behaviors that talk about being team players. This isn't about I, it's about we. The second thing is we have a passion and obsession over customers and what we need to do to make sure that our customers receive not the value that they expect, but even more value than they could have expected when they engage with Athena. The third thing is a constant striving for excellence. You know, there's a difference between being good and being great. And people and organizations that strive to be good, that's fine. 
but we're above that. We want to strive to be great in a culture where we can be great. The fourth point would be acting with integrity. And it goes without saying in a lot of ways, but frankly, in today's day and age, I don't think you can say it enough. It, it's about doing the right things. And it's the old you know, statement, like it's easy to do the right things when everyone's looking, but are you doing the right things when nobody's looking and nobody knows? And our culture is built around fundamental integrity. The next point would be valuing everyone. I mean, the world is very diverse and it's getting increasingly diverse and it needs to be so. And you have to value everyone. You have to not only listen, but you have to provide space where people can bring their best selves to work. And we spend a lot of time on diversity and inclusion to ensure that we're creating a culture and an environment where everyone can bring their best selves to work. You also have to be accountable. And our culture is a very accountable culture. And a lot of people think about accountability in a negative sense, but for us, it really isn't. It's, it's about follow through. Accountability is taking things to the next step. It's not just, hey, well, I sent this over to Johnny and I assume Johnny had it. Well, did you check with Johnny? Did you call back two days later and say, hey, Johnny, did that get resolved? I mean, that's real accountability. That's real ownership. And that's the type of culture that we're building. And then lastly, Russ, I would say fundamentally at the end of the day at Athena, it's about making a difference. It's about making a difference in the world. It's about making a difference for the communities in which we work and we live. It's about making a difference for our families. And it's core to us. And it's a core part of our ethos that we have within Athena that I think makes this place so special. So thanks, thanks for the question. Uh, and hopefully that wasn't too long of an answer for that. But a lot of passion around the uniqueness of our culture and our values and the things that really make Athena stand out as a great place to work. Well, Bob, thank you for all you do. And the, the whole reason we do these Leaders and Leader podcasts is so we can share those learnings, those expertise, that wisdom. Um, and you've definitely shared that today. Thanks for all you do for Chime and our community in healthcare. And we just greatly appreciate all of our friends at Athena Health. Great. My pleasure, Russ. You take care. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to this episode of our Leader to Leader podcast. As always, you can visit this or listen to this one on Spotify or chimecentral.org forward slash media for all of our programs. But for now, please stay vigilant and safe during these difficult times. If you haven't, please at least consider getting vaccinated. It's not just for you, but it's for the people around you. For now, take care, be safe, and God bless.